Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli. To find out more about the Sports Deli Podcast, check us out online at thesportsdelipodcast.com. And whether you're folding laundry, driving, exercising, or cooking, grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the Sports Deli. So incredibly honored during this 21st day of National Blueberry and Fragile X Awareness Month to welcome Kurt Miller, head coach and general manager of the Connecticut Sun. And so for those of you that don't know what Fragile X is, I encourage you to look it up. I didn't know what it was either, Um, but it's very interesting and uh, something we wanna raise a little bit more awareness about. He was born the same year that Denny McLean of the Detroit Tigers won 31 games. The first American League player in the history to win the MVP and Cy Young Award in the same season. LL Cool J and Will Smith were born the same year as Coach Miller, and he shares a birthday with Grant Hill and Mario Lemieux. He went to D3 Baldwin-Wallace College, now Baldwin-Wallace University. He was a D1 women's basketball coach for 24 years, starting when he was 22, which made him, at the time, the youngest D1 coach in the country at Cleveland State, including head coaching stints at Bowling Green and Indiana before jumping to the professional ranks in 2015 as an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Sparks, and in 2016 became the head coach and general manager of the Connecticut Sun. You can find him on Twitter at Kurt Curtis with a C, Kurt Miller WBB, and on Instagram at Coach Kurt Miller, where you can see him with a picture with his amazing mother. Uh, coach, uh, you know, you got a lot going on, and you're, this is your break. Well, I guess there's never a break when you're a coach, but uh, we can't uh, thank you enough for, for joining us in the Sports Deli today. Happy to be with you. Thank you for having me. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, the picture with my mom, actually with my parents right now in my childhood bedroom. It's been remodeled, certainly, um, showing my <laughs> age, but uh, always great to be back in my hometown. And uh, I'll age myself, but a combo trip with a fun 35th high school reunion coming up this weekend. Wow. That's incredible. And that's going to be in Girard? In Girard, Pennsylvania. And so uh, great timing. Usually don't get to attend very many things with the WNBA schedule in the summer, but uh, hit this perfect on the Olympic break. So catching my breath with my family and uh, we'll end the week um, at a reunion. That's amazing. So we have some things in common. So we're both the same age and we both don't. Actually, this is another thing. We both don't look our age. So that's another. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so and then we both went to a D3 school. I went to Goucher in Baltimore, which was an all women's college. And then they, they later went co-ed a couple of years before I got there. And then you were a grad assistant with your first job. That was at Kent State, right? Correct. Tried to land in the coaching world uh, and just couldn't land at GA. Wasn't a great collegiate player. Actually quit. That's another story for another day. But right. Um, was fortunate to become a GA teaching activity classes. So I was teaching wow. racquetball 101, basketball 101, and volunteered every minute of the day when I wasn't teaching or taking my own classes with the women's team, who at that time, that year, did not have a GA. Wow. And uh, But uh, it is what opened the door for me for the rest of my career is the volunteer work with the women's team while I was a GA actually teaching racquetball and basketball classes. That's fascinating. I mean, I did the same thing. I was at Frostburg State, you know, D3, and you were obviously at a Division One program. But 
I was an intramural coordinator and the deal was I had to do my job if I wanted to help out. And I was on the men's side 15 years and I've been on the women's side 15 years. So, you know, my advisor said, look, you can help out with the basketball program, but you better do your job. You know, otherwise we're going to revoke this, you know, kind of same kind of thing. So volunteer. So I volunteered 15 years before I ever saw a paycheck, you know, and doing what I actually love to do. And then finally, I used to work for Coach Beheim at his summer camps at Syracuse. And you were actually there. I didn't know you then, obviously, you know, when I was working those camps uh, for Coach Beheim. So that's we have a lot in common. <laughs> that's fascinating. That was my big break. Um, that was my big break. Uh, landed the recruiting coordinator position at 25. They were looking wow. for a young, energetic recruiter. I hit it off. My, my college girlfriend at the time was the athletic trainer for the Syracuse women. And wow. so she uh, in, introduced me. I hit it off with the head coach and right place at the right time, 25 years old, ended up in the Big East um, in Syracuse. Wow. And that, that really opened the doors for me the rest of my career. Oh, and time flies. That's just incredible. You know, we're both about 30 years in. The Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx, the leader in sport prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here on the Sports Deli. So you said earlier, you know, you're at your childhood home, you're in Girard. So it's small. I mean, it's 3000 now. I don't know what it was back then. Maybe it was the same. Maybe it was a little smaller. But t- talk about because, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that I want to get into, most of which has nothing to do with this season uh, because there's a lot of layers to you um, and your evolution, you know, as a person and, and uh, you know, what you're in it for now in addition to coaching and those types of things. But, but talk about you know, how it was as a kid, because you've gone on to later say that, you know, you've been a certain way since 1968. And so obviously, you know, you were a kid, you know, you, you dated, you know, in, in a traditional sense, but how, how was it growing up there, you know, and, and what was it like? And did you always know that you wanted to get to this point? Yeah, I was very fortunate. Uh, tremendous. Gerard is what I would consider, if there is such a thing, a suburb of Erie, Pennsylvania. And so we're in the northwest tip of Pennsylvania, near Lake Erie, right near the border of Ohio. Um, And it was what I describe in my way of describing our town, a Hoosier type town. Um, It was a basketball crazy town. And we had established third and fourth and fifth and sixth grade leagues in the 70s before that was really popular. And so by the time middle school basketball started in seventh and eighth grade, our community had been playing in organized competitive leagues for four years. And so we became a real powerhouse in small level basketball, small class basketball in the state of Pennsylvania. But we all grew up three sport athletes or more. You know, you played all you played three sports all the time. Um, you may play on some traveling teams and other sports. So you know, sports was everything to me. I dabbled in everything from travel baseball to travel soccer. Um, I, because you, I was a lifeguard growing up, you also had to be a competitive swimmer to be a lifeguard. So I, I swam competitively in the summers, obviously basketball and track were my big sports. I was actually recruited harder at the division three levels for track than I was basketball. Um, but I grew up in a town that was crazy for sports. That's all we did. And as you mentioned, the side note was I, I knew from a pretty early age that there was something different than me. While I had 
uh, high school girlfriends and a, a, a collegiate girlfriend, I knew that uh, I was different. And it was, you know, where I hid, I hid in the sports world. I wanted to be friends with the best athletes in the school, both in high school and college. I think I had a drive to become a very, very talented athlete at the high school level. I held all the, the sprint records in my high school. Um, I, you know, I was the best basketball player in my grade and we had a lot of success. But I think a lot of my drive was to a little bit to hide who I was on a personal level, knowing that there wasn't a lot of visibility and role models for gay men in sports, especially team sports. And so, um, you know, I hid for a long time and I hid in the sports world. And I wondered if I could chase my dream of being in basketball, uh, either as a coach or ultimately maybe in a front office somewhere mm. because of my sexuality that, that I knew was a part of me, but I tried to suppress and I tried to hide for a long, long time. Fascinating. Gerard, Pennsylvania. That is just amazing. And I'm from Detroit. So I was integrated in fifth grade. And I, I wouldn't say I hid behind sports, but my father committed suicide when I was nine. So I, I became immersed in the same way that you did in a way to forget about it. I mean, it was sun up to sundown. I, I, if I had to think about the fact that, you know, my father wasn't around, uh, it was, uh, <clears throat> Uh, an emptiness and a void that I you can't even describe unless you actually had gone through something like that. And so that's so interesting in a small town that you had something like that in place. Cause I know when we had Jay Billis on, you know, he talked about how horrendous his high school experience was. And, you know, that probably in large part drove you to want to continue to be involved in sports just because you had such a good experience. You had a shitty experience, not only, do you know that something's different about you, but then sports sucked. And it's like, then you'd be like, well, where do I go now? So that, that was so hugely important. I would imagine. It was, it was unbelievable. And because of the organization in our hometown back in the seventies and playing in those leagues, I was, um, I was around great coaches from a very early age and, you know, was always getting coached. So my, as I reached high school level, those coaches became second fathers to me. And I looked up to them and, and they taught us the game, but they taught us so much more than the game. And basketball was such a big part of our town. They used to have signs leaving our rural town, last one out, turn the lights out when there was wow. men's basketball games on the road. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the 3000 people, but it was not uncommon to have over a thousand people in attendance you know, during our playoff runs. And, you know, I, we thought we should win the state championship my junior year and my senior year, we, we ended up losing in what was, would be considered the quarterfinal of the state. Mm. Um, but uh, it was just such a great experience. And uh, again, I was exposed to great coaching. Um, those coaches took on even a bigger part of my life than just X's and O's people. Um, and, and I just was in love with it. I, I was hooked. I was in love with it. And couldn't imagine life without basketball. And unfortunately, as you mentioned, 31 years later, I'm still involved in this great game. The Sports Deli is sponsored by PSK. You can find them online at lids.com, pskcollective.com, tjmax.com, walmart.com, and now Kohl's Department Store at Kohl's, Kohl's is K-O-H-L-S, kohls.com. They have some incredible women's athletic wear that's all-inclusive. 
And again, you can find them online at five different locations. Lids.com, PSKCollective.com, TJMaxx.com, Walmart.com, and Kohl's.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Deli. Oh, fascinating. I could talk about the, the, the youth stuff and, and its impact and its ramifications, you know, in the short and long term all day. I want to table uh, what you talked about, uh, you touched on in passing um, and mental health until a little bit later. Uh, and I want to I want to jump to, <clears throat> you know, your experience uh, at, at the college level and how that was for you. And, um, you know, was it hard? You know, did you find that things were more accepted? Because I know when I was at Goucher, I mean, I didn't come out and ask people this, but I I can with almost all certainty say that it was very accepted uh, to be in that space, you know, the LGBTQ plus space. Um, and no one thought anything of it. Just like when I was integrated into Detroit in fifth grade, I was, I was just one of the guys, you know, white, black, you know, it just, maybe I was oblivious to things, but it just seemed like it was just accepted. But how was it for you? Cause you were in the Midwest. It's, it's a little bit different there, I would imagine. Yeah. And for myself, it, you know, the hardest part was, um, admitting it myself. Um, yeah. and I had two great role models. My older brother and sister are both gay. And so you would think it would make it easier. It actually made it harder, uh, because I felt like I was letting down the family. Um, if, you know, if, because I had an older brother and sister, but, um, you know, had they already I, come out at this point, they had been out and, wow. uh, really comfortable and, <clears throat> but still it was hard for me, but, so early in my career, I, you know, that was just a part of me that I wasn't truly comfortable with and wasn't living authentically. And um, I met near the end of my time at Syracuse, which ultimately ended up being my partner for 21 years. And we raised twin boys together. Um, I met my partner at Syracuse near the end of my career. And so when I left Syracuse to go to Colorado State and I hit the jackpot, we I went to work for a great friend and, and mentor and role model in Tom Collin mm-hmm. at Colorado State. Well, I walked into Colorado State when Becky Hammond was a senior in college. And all of a sudden, before you know it, my first year at Colorado State, we were fourth in the country and one of the best mid-major programs in you know the modern era because Becky Hammond was so talented. At that point, I had become comfortable. And at that point, I, my partner went with me from Syracuse to Colorado State. Uh, it wasn't long into my, my Colorado State experience that uh, we got a call on a on, on a Thursday and by t- uh, Tuesday we were raising my partner's biological twin boys. He's the uncle. Uh, he's the biological uncle, and uh, it, it was we we had about a five day head start to realize that we were going to start raising twin boys that had just turned five. Um, and I still live with one of my sons to this day in the off season, he's 26, um, one of my twin boys, but that's when I, you know, was more comfortable in the basketball, in the women's basketball world, where again, there was a lot of built-in support, as you can understand, there's more, um, out women in the LGBT community and women's basketball. So there was a built-in network of support in women's basketball. At that point, I felt like I had a solid enough start with my coaching career that it was no longer going to hurt me. And while we didn't have that visibility or representation of male head coaches in basketball at the highest levels, 
I felt really comfortable with where my career was at. And unfortunately, uh, um, you know, Bowling Green hired me as a first time head coach coming out of that Colorado State experience. They saw, you know, what we could do and, and you know, turn a mid-major into a power. And fortunately, it ended up uh, duplicating and happening at Bowling Green under our tenure. But a lot of credit to that administration at Bowling Green taking a chance um, on, on myself. Well, on that note, we got Dr. Auntie Chantel in the house, surprising us. She's, she's doing well, feeling better. Auntie, welcome. Hi, Coach. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I'm not seeing you shoot some half-court shot from somewhere. <laughs> Sports Deli is sponsored by Moolah Kicks. Moolah is M-O-O-L-A-H, like money, moolah, and kicks, like shoes, one word. You can find them online at moolahkicks.com, and it's the first ever female-only brand basketball shoe. So it's a shout-out to the basketball street culture and it is also about fighting social injustice and gender inequality worldwide and here in the united states and again you can find them at moolahkicks.com and now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports deli i had elbow surgery on uh wednesday and so uh i'll be i'll be on the sideline for a couple weeks but uh I just want to say I, I appreciate you. I'm a fan. Um, other than than uh, you being from Pennsylvania, a, a Libra guy, a, um, a a part of the LGBTQ community, you know. Other than the fact that you're a male, like you and I are twins, you uh, you coach my favorite player in the league in D Bonner, you know, as a fellow Auburn graduate. But uh, I uh, I also feel like right now you probably are coaching the best player in the league in, in John Quayle Jones. And so, you know, I just appreciate everything you're doing for the league, for women's basketball and, and uh, just standing in who you are. So praise to you. And also, sorry, Michael, I didn't mean to hijack your hey. thing, but Kurt, you probably don't know, coach, but back, you probably don't remember, but back in 2017, when I was getting my PhD, I, uh, I did my dis. I was doing my dissertation on preferred leadership style preferences of of uh, women's professional athletes, and your team was the very first team that sent back their their uh, their surveys and uh, and so I appreciate that. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm a fan. Well, pleasure and and truly appreciate the Trailblazers that have so much help the WNBA where it is in this 21st, 25th season. So uh, truly appreciate you. And again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stalker behind the scenes on all your social media posts. So I love it. I, lo- I love, I love all the posts. I appreciate it. Auntie, I've seen advertisements for that, that thing you have in the background there with all the Nike shoes. It's, it's, uh, you, don't you just slide it and they pull out like it's just a real easy system you got back there. That's fa- That's phenomenal. I'm a little OCD about organization. <laughs> so if I'm going to have this many shoes, I might as well make them look pretty. So, oh man, I love it. I, I'm, so- I'm jealous. I was uh, at the collegiate level. I was always at an Adidas school. So when I became a head coach in the WNBA, I was finally what you consider a Nike school, a Nike team, a Nike league. Right. And uh, I made up for lost time. So I'm really jealous of the organization back there because I think in less than three years, now I have over a hundred Nikes and uh, 
Um, I'm a shoe head myself. I just don't have that organization. So I'm jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, I love my Nike, Nike shoes. And even before starting to work for Nike, I, I was a, a Nike sneaker head. So that's just one wall. There's, there's a wall over here you can't see that's full. And then there's another room. I think I have a, a problem. And the worst thing that working for Nike is we get a 40% discount. And so like half my check every, every two weeks, I think goes to buying Nikes. I love it. So auntie, you can go, you're only here for about 15, 20 minutes. So you can go in any direction you want on the wall over your uh, right shoulder. It says, be humble, be grateful. You've overcome cancer. For those of you that haven't listened to the podcast where auntie came on, encourage you to do so, but um, go in any direction you want. We're honored that you joined as a guest co-host today and, and just honored that you're here as well. You know, coach, I just, you know, one, um, how do you, how do you think of it? How you feel about the season so far, how going into, you know, obviously the Olympic break and, and um, you know, I know that's gotta be tough as a coach, as a player to, you know, you guys are sitting third in the league and in, in atop the Eastern conference, but you know, what do you think about, how the season's going and, and hopeful of where you're going uh, after the Olympics. Yeah, I can't be more pleased. Um, you know, I think we were overlooked coming into the season when the off season started with the news of Alyssa Thomas tearing her um, Achilles overseas. She's been such the centerpiece of how we play. We call her our engine. She really creates her and Candace Parker are probably the two best point forwards in the world right now. And she just anchored a lot of what we do. And, and I will fight tooth and nail and think she's the best individual defender in the world. So when she was hurt, the, the expectations dropped dramatically. I think out of sight, out of mind uh, with JJ, Jonquil Jones opting out last season, that out of sight, out of mind, people forgot how talented she is. So we got off to a great start. We were very, very fortunate. We knew we were going to uh, miss Jonquel for anywhere from four to six games with her commitment to the Bosnian national team. So we knew it was imperative to get off to a great start. So can't be more pleased that where we were, we salvaged a two and three record without JJ. Um, I took a leave of absence, missed a couple games because of my mom's stroke. Uh, also, unfortunately, was suspended early in the year where words matter. And so, you know, we, we've been 14 and three um, when I've been on the sideline. I think we are, you know, we, we have a really good record when we've had JJ. So I, I'm really pleased that where we are, um, we've been playing all season with 10 because we kept Alyssa Thomas on the roster. So we, we don't have as much depth as some teams. Um, you know, we, we are extending our minutes with our starters. So an Olympic year was a great year because now we got the reset. We got a break. We get some of these guys rest. Um, we're hanging our hat on defense and rebounding. We, we really believe we're the best defensive team in the league. We are a great rebounding team. We're a little inconsistent offensively. So if we can be more consistent offensively, in, in August and September, then there's no ceiling on this team. And I think people would not have thought that many of the experts would not have considered us in discussion as a championship caliber team going into the year. And I think we put ourselves in that discussion, um, but it should be a wild finish. There's other teams that are going to get players back that haven't been there. Other teams are going to get healthier. So uh, it is going to be a wild ride to the playoffs. And as usual, probably the healthiest team will be the team that's favored 
uh, in the playoffs. The Sports Deli is sponsored by City Lokes, C-I-T-Y-L-O-C-S. You can find them online at citylokes.com where you can go and make your own personalized license plate hats. They're so cool. You got to check them out. And don't forget to enter the code THESPORTSDELI at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Deli. Well, I got y'all coming out of the East. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the finish and, and things like that. And, and you know, speaking of, a, of an elephant in a room, you know, I don't know how much you're allowed to, to talk about it anyways, but, but I just want to say that, you know, I, you know, I've been on the court and I've been two feet away from fans who say anything they want about my mom, about my family, um, about me, um, opposing players, uh, opposing, you know, fans, everything. And I understand that, you know, it takes a, a thick skin to play as a professional athlete. Um, and, and I know that I personally, I, I feel like the suspension and, and definitely a $10,000 fine was a little bit too hefty. Um, I think that you were in a, in the heat of the moment and, you know, coaches say what they say and, and players also say what they say, but, I, but I, how important do you think it is um, for women, um, you know, whether professional athletes or, or um, anything else um, to take words, to, to be able to, to be able to have that thick skin, like, do you have a stance on that or, or anything? Are you allowed to even talk about that? Yeah, I, I think my message was uh, to our team and in, in a growing and learning lesson is that words matter. And for me, the defense early was context matters. Um, I was in a heated conversation with the official. Uh, I felt like um, they were missing defensive three-second calls. Um, and we are a team that plays through the post. We throw it in the post. And I didn't feel like Liz was guarding anyone and having her presence in the lane was clogging things up. And so the context of the discussion with the official was you can't miss her. You can't miss her. And I was screaming for a defense of three seconds. And that's when I used her height and weight um, like you cannot miss her. She, you got to call the defense of three seconds. And she, she was 15 feet behind the official and overheard that. And, uh, it understandably offended her. And, uh, and so my message is that words matter. And, uh, that was, that was not appropriate. I wasn't speaking directly to Liz. I was exaggerating to get a, a point across to the official that, Hey, you, you've got to, you've got to call defense of three seconds. And so, um, I had to, I had to own that. And I think that was the message for the team is, is that, um, that, that was the wrong way to communicate what I desired as a call. Um, so, and, and, and I get her point afterwards is that a lot of that, what you're talking about, there's a lot of chatter. People don't realize the things that are said amongst players. Um, she was, she was just offended, uh, that it came from a coach and I, I understand that. And so, uh, but people, have, you, you get it, you get it, um, how much goes on between the lines between players. Um, uh, you know, it is, it is sometimes, it makes you, you smirk, it makes you laugh at sometimes <laughs> on, on some of the things that the players say to each other. But uh, ultimately, we're all in it together. You know, there's 12 teams trying to grow this league, trying to do something special. This league is bigger than 
an individual matchup. It's bigger than an individual one-on-one um, trash talking back and forth. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all trying to grow this great product that we believe is so important to the future of women's sports. Right. No, I, I, I do remember when I was I was talking to another player about, you know, and I said, you know, man, you, you OK with these little bitch calls? And, the, and I got my first technical uh, or my only technical in, in, in the WNBA. And, and wow. then it was only a $500 fine. And, you know, I was I was upset about that. So uh, regardless, um, you know, I do remember, you know, yes, it was the, the first years of, of the league and, and you know, it was a novelty. It was, it was, it was new. It was huge. And I remember us being in, in Sacramento and, and Ruthie and I would talk about it all the time is, you know, I wonder how many fans we're getting today. And, and we would come out consistently to about 17,000 fans. And, you know, those numbers have gone down a little bit. What, what do you think needs to happen, whether it be the marketing from the league marketing from, you know, people like Nike, um, you know, hearing the women's stories, which I think is huge. Um, what do you think it's going to take for the WNBA to be sustainable for another 25 years? Yeah, I think individual franchises all have a little bit of different nuances for us. The biggest growth opportunity in Connecticut is the corporate dollar. Um, you know, we have a great fan base. Uh, we play in a great arena. Um, but, you know, can we generate more corporate sponsorship um, as what I would consider the small market franchise of the WNBA? Um, in general, visibility matters, you know, better and better TV, uh, TV packages. Are we on ESPN and not their family and networks? Are we getting the right exposure? We have an amazing product considering our training camps are as short as they are considering how many games we play in a short amount of time. The hardest thing for me as someone that loves to coach the game is you rarely practice, um, especially at the duration or intensity that you would love to, because it's all about recovery in this league. So I think big picture wise, like what is the footprint of our calendar going to be like? Does it create an opportunity where we practice a little bit more without uh, losing revenue opportunities on those game nights. Um, that's the, that's the, the rub in the room. Right. You might get a few more practices, but does that eliminate some games? And now you've eliminated some revenue opportunity. But I, I really think exposure um, on the right TV networks, um, getting our games, visibility really, really matters. And then you mentioned it. Our league has so many great personal stories. And if we can get those told and shared um, on the right platforms, it, 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 the, the stories that our players have, if, if, our, if the general population got to know our 144 players better and some of their individual stories, they're amazing. Um, I'm just really proud to be a part of the league. Uh, I think we put great products on the floor considering we hardly ever practice. I mean, it's just like, it's amazing the products that we can put out there in the game and we don't practice very much. And so, um, you know, I just, you can get me on a rant. I could go in a lot of different tangents, but that's my knee jerk reaction. That's the, that's the, that's the only job I would probably leave Nike for is, is, is to come to one of the WNBA teams and, and work to get the women opportunities in the state, in their cities, 
in the off season so that they're not having to go overseas. So they're not having to play basketball year round. So they're not having to miss games when they come back to the league because they're still playing overseas. Um, and, and like you said earlier at the beginning, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And yeah, you know, a, a Dewana Bonner or a JJ. Yeah. They're, they're a part of the Connecticut staple of community during the season, but they still go overseas and play. And, and to be able be able to have them, uh, you know, their faces around all the time, being part of the community in whatever jobs or, or sponsorship or, or endorsement opportunities they have, I think that would be huge. And then that would give the opportunity in the off season to learn these women's stories, to be able to tell these women's stories. Um, how, how do you as a coach think about, um, you know, the players going overseas and, and having to play all year round and, and what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, the difficult thing is, is they never have an off season. And, and so, you know, I, I understand it that their window of earning potential is smaller. And so they need this year round opportunity uh, because their window is not very long, but because of it and, it, and it sounds unusual because right now we're in an era of um, Sue Bird being 40 and Diana Taurasi pushing 40. And we've seen some of these great players be able to extend their careers into their late thirties um, and beyond, it, but it's not the case for all of them. And so many careers end early. So their earning window is short. So they have to go year round, but the wear and tear on their body is legitimate. And then you come back to the WNBA and like last year, we played 22 games in less than 50 days. Um, next year, you know, the, we probably have a proposal on the table to play 36 games in less than 90 days. Think about that, 36 games in less than 90 days. That's a game every two and a half days, and we're a commercial airline league. So, you know, from coast to coast. And so, you know, Connecticut's playing in Phoenix in two days. You know, they get done with a game at, at 9 p.m. They're done with media responsibilities at 10 p.m. And in 44 hours, they're going to be playing in Phoenix and we're flying commercial and, uh, and, and, you know, like when are you practicing for that right. Phoenix game? Because I want to know how I'm going to guard Brittany Griner, you know, like our team <laughs> better know how to guard Brittany Griner. So um, it's a necessary evil right now overseas. I'd love for it to, you know, uh, we find an opportunity where they would have the decision if they wanted to or not. Someone like JJ who makes insane amounts of money in Russia she may elect not to stop playing right now in her earning windows, but someone who's going overseas for a modest income um, may choose not to go there six months of the year. And instead of stay in market, if there's revenue opportunity to not have to make the decision. Some of our superstars may, may continue to want to do that because of the amount of money, but it's the non-superstars who we keep more and more in the States create revenue opportunities in the off season, tell their stories, become more of a part of these communities um, and just grow the game, I, I think would be tremendous. You, you were talking about superstars and, and uh, one of the past players, superstars is, has um, gotten a lot of people's attention and uh, especially the WNBA alumni, our sisterhood in Cappy Poindexter and um, you know, what's unfortunately going on with her right now and, and um, what, you know, we're having to see. And what do you think or what would you like to see the WNBA as a whole? Are you um, able to expand do, on what you're talking about? 
Yeah, so so right now, Cappy has been going on um, social media a lot, and she's been on a lot of Instagram lives, and and um, you know she's having some difficulty with some mental health issues, and and um, you know the the police and were called to her home yesterday, and and with some with some mental health counselors were were outside her friends, you know all of us were trying to call her and and. She seems to be going through a, a mental breakdown right now. Um, and, you know, she's made the news, you know, saying LeBron James stole all of her money out of her bank account. And she's accused LeBron James of being a sex trafficker. And, you know, he sex trafficked her and things like that. And so we know what's going on. Um, but, but what would you like to see the WNBA as a whole do to support players who have left the league and who have to have that transition into the corporate world who may not be able to handle it as well as as others? Yeah, it's a it's a big, broad question that would take a lot of time to answer. But obviously, the support network um, and, and per helping provide resources. We're trying to become the model franchise. We have uh, hired a tremendous coach, but his is uh, a former NBA guy, um, been in the WNBA now for a handful of years. He's our player development. And when you mention player development, you think skills trainer on the court. But what we're trying to become is the model franchise of creating resources for our players, mental health, fiscal responsibility, uh, all the resources from family planning to uh, you know, all the medical arms of these resources. But we're really trying to become the model franchise of what you're talking about. And then having resources above us at the league when we may not have access to every avenue that they want, but trying to create leadership opportunities, mindfulness training, mental training, family planning, some of the unique um, nutrition and, and fitness. We're trying to become the model franchise in player development and player development is holistic. It's the big, broad development, not skills trainer. I got, got to get people off of when they hear player development that they're working on a jump shot. Um, it's, it's the holistic roundabout and, you know, we're, we've, we've exposed them to many different doctors in many different areas, um, mindfulness, mental training, um, um, you know, mental health issues. So, you know, I would love for the resources to trickle down from the league or be able to be there when we individual franchises don't have all the connections. Um, that is really, really important. But what the league does and provides some of these uh, opportunities with Nike or the Harvard Business School, those, those things are really, really important. And expanding that, those programs for the players in the W. Uh, I think would be tremendous. Um, you know, we, we talk something simple as fiscal responsibility and how to invest their money. You know, as you can imagine, some of these guys are starting to make money at 23, 24 and 25. And it, it, they carry luggage and bags that I can't afford. And I've been doing this a long time. And it's just like, let's start talking about like, hey, how, how about a different bag? Because I know you just spent $4,000 on that bag that you put over your shoulder. But anyways, you get me on my soapbox about, you know, different ways to, you know, you know, really help these guys. You know, and, and my, my, my last question, um, I'd love to stay on with you all day, coach. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, time is permitting, but uh, you know, my last question is, what 
you right now you have a tremendous voice. You have um, being an out gay man and and two amazing sons and, and a family. What is your message to young people these days who are trying to navigate their sexuality, um, who may be, you know, nervous about that coming out process because I'm gonna be on the national stage. Uh, what would you? What advice would you give uh, young people? Uh, about any mistakes that you've made about your coming out process or being out process that you think would help them? Yeah, I think with all these recent announcements of professional athletes, and, and in particular the male athletes right now, you know, NHL, NFL, um, you know, the coach, the director of operations in men's division one basketball, all these guys that are coming out recently, visibility and representation matters. And the message to the next generation is that you can live authentically and you can thrive in team sports. And, uh, and, but each and every one of your journeys is your own. And, uh, you know, when you're comfortable, but there is support and there are people that are doing this. That, the back nine of my career is where I want my legacy to go. Um, because I had positive experiences in the locker room in middle school, high school, even college before I walked away, I had positive experiences. Um, not everyone does. Um, and that doesn't mean, um, you know, you don't hear things. I, I met with a prominent division one coach in another sport that I was told to go meet because of this gentleman um, knew what it was like to rebuild programs. And I was, I was connected with a very, you know, well-known coach. And we talked about rebuilding, talked about rebuilding. This is a person who knew my background. And he, he, he said, and I knew what he meant, but he said, when I inherited my team, I had too many gay guys. I had too many faggots is what he really said. And, uh, and I knew what he meant. He, they, he didn't think they were mentally tough enough or they were tough enough, physically tough enough, but that's what he equated that word with. And, uh, you know, it's that kind of stuff that we need to get out of the locker rooms of, of men's sports, because it just pushes people back in the closet more and more that they can live authentically and be their true selves. So I, I want to give visibility. I want to give representation to the next generation that there are people that are thriving in team sports. This is why it's so important that some of these young professionals are coming out. Um, but also I'd love to keep educating um, the coaches and administrators at different levels and in front offices that there are gay men in your locker room right now. There are gay men in your locker room right now. How can you support them? What kind of environment are you helping create um, because there's gay men in your locker room and you may not even realize it right now. So, um, it's a big passion of mine on the back nine of my career. Um, and I'm more comfortable in my skin. So, you know, I'm a little bit more out, uh, speaking about it. It was, I never wanted to be the gay coach. I wanted to be the successful basketball coach, not the gay coach. Um, now like, I like being introduced as, you know, the openly gay coach, because I feel like I have now an opportunity to reach that next generation of young guys um, who are questioning, can they chase their dream in sports, especially team sports? Well, like I said from the beginning, coach, I'm a fan. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing for the women's game. I appreciate what you're doing for the LGBTQ community. 
I, I appreciate what you're doing as a human being. Um, you know, I didn't, like I said, I'd love to stay on longer. I didn't mean to come and hijack Michael's. Uh, no, you're good. Podcast, love but you. Appreciate I'm, you. Um, definitely anything you ever need from me. Uh, I am there. Reach out. I'm ready for for uh, somebody up in Connecticut to send me a jersey so I can do a shot <laughs> in Connecticut Sun uh, jersey. Um, that'll be my first shot in a, in a WNBA uniform that wasn't my own, uh, but my jerseys are like 25 years old. Uh, they still fit, but, but they're getting a little tighter. So, <laughs> uh, but I, thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it. Michael, thanks for having me. Oh, uh, now I got to be act like I'm a corporate Nike. There you go. Jump on a call, but I appreciate you very much coach. Appreciate it. I'm, and I'm glad I didn't coach you. Cause I think you would have taken all my money with those half court shots every day. <laughs> I will. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I appreciate y'all. Thank, Thank you. All right, Thank Doc. All right. That was great. Glad that she could jump on for a little bit and surprise you there, Coach. Hope that was all right. No, fantastic. I just, uh, um, I'm, I'm older, um, but I still really appreciate the people who came before and yeah. what that generation did for the WNBA. Pretty yeah. special. Pretty, Pretty special. special. Yeah. Uh, so talking about auntie and, and some of the, some of the originals um, that, you know, were uh, the ones that laid the foundation uh, you're white. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. So people that are just listening <laughs> right not watching on YouTube necessarily. Uh, and so that's another, that's another layer in a league that is mostly uh, women of color. Uh, and then, you know, I, I don't think it can be overstated enough uh, what you talked about with auntie uh, in terms of those spaces um, and representation matters. Uh, but it also is important that your body of work shouldn't go unnoticed either, that if you do make a mistake, like with, with Liz Cambage, that you know you uh, apologize, you're genuine. And when I see your team give you a game ball, for example, uh, after a win, and they're screaming and excited, you know, during a regular season game, you know, it, it just showed me, uh, and I don't know you, um, you know, we haven't met until today, uh, but you know, you see that stuff on television, it says a lot about how they feel about you. Um, and so I've, you know, said this a lot on this show that we need white allies and, and with the death of George Floyd and the aftermath personally, and Jay Billis has agreed and others that we've not seen this type of, uh, unapologetic white support that we've seen in the past. And so I think that is one distinction from other civil rights times and racial reckonings. And so I don't know if you want to touch on that. And then obviously I want to transition because I, I think no matter how long we are um, in the future after the, the, the aftermath of George Floyd and the documentary 144, for those of you that haven't seen it on ESPN or what the women of the WNBA, the sisterhood has always done, not just last year, but have always been at the forefront of social injustice and fighting for these types of issues uh, in these spaces is, uh, like I said, cannot be overstated enough, the, the impact that they've had. And, you know, maybe peripherally, but last year was, they were in the trenches and had a direct impact in elections uh, and the, um, the removal or the forcing out of an owner that, you know, quite honestly, you know, as I, you know, Nikki, uh, Colin obviously is very close to you. You know, you, you gave her, you know, a, a big start um, at that level. She's now at Baylor. She was on our podcast also. But you know, um, 
things like that where uh, you need people in these spaces that should be here and, and, and are allies. First and foremost, the women in the WNBA are absolutely amazing and their courage to stand up for what's right, to use their platforms, to use their voice is inspiring. Um, and totally. absolutely one of the joys that I have about being in this league is to be around these amazing women who um, are willing to fight you know, for what, they, for what is right and, and use their platforms in, in an unbelievably positive way. Um, you know, through the George Floyd, through uh, Black Lives Matter, one of the things that became very apparent is, is that I had to admit my privilege and, uh, you know, have very honest, at times, uncomfortable conversations. And at first, um, I took a step back um, because I wanted to hear from them and I wanted them to lead. And I realized rather quickly it, I needed the lead. I needed to show from the top that I was an ally and that I was in this with them. And uh, it wasn't always my comfortable space, um, but it, it, it was really important to do that. And at the time I had a boss, Amber Cox, who's now moved on and is running um, a, a and a soccer or women's soccer professional team, mm. you know, she was a great role model too, as a, a white ally, but she, you know, just jumped in and it's like, we're going to, there's going to be some action behind our words. And, uh, and still at times, you know, also being able to admit that we don't always have the right words. We're not going to be perfect in this space, um, but we're not going to be afraid to have these uncomfortable conversations. And I think the team has come to appreciate um, that why I may not have always the right words, um, they know I have their back and they know that I'm trying to lead with action and, and just not be a silent uh, observer in the back of the room anymore. And, that, and that's where I was in the beginning. I kind of, I kind of put myself in the back of the room and, and wanted the players to take the lead. And as the leader, as the head coach, as the GM, it was, I, I needed to be out in front with them. So how do you handle pushback? Because, you know, there's extremes, right? There's people that are unapologetically allies, and then there's people on the other extreme that are racist. And then you have the people in the gray area. And so how, what's the message to, because I get calls all the time. I'm not a big show. You know, I, I, I wish I was Tom Brady because I don't think Tom Brady does enough. Personally, I wish I was Colin Cowherd. I wish I was Doug Gottlieb. I don't think these, these white guys do enough, uh, Women's another another subject, but for for men of color, and I think it should be more in the forefront of their conversations. Uh, and it's been more, but not enough, in my opinion. Especially women. Women are still marginalized way too much and put on the back burner. And you know, with viewership up seventy four percent this year, it was up twenty almost twenty percent uh, from nineteen to twenty in the WNBA. You know, a lot of it's marketing, a lot of it is sharing these stories. You know, whatever narrative we're going to create, that's going to impact people and educate people, you know, like my family members who I've had to say, I'm not talking to you anymore. You have to be willing to lose some of these relationships, unfortunately, because like, I'm not going to sit around anymore. And I know you're not. And so how do we educate these people in the, in the middle to, to not force it down their throats, but just say, Hey, if LeBron James and doc rivers and the women of the WNBA say when they walk out of their house, that they're still scared and they look over their shoulder when a police officer drives by, we're not going to be arrogant anymore and say, 
well, that's silly. You're using the race car now. And all those types of, you know, flawed arguments that we've used in the path. It's just so maddening, the arrogance sometimes. But it's also on the other side of the coin, an opportunity to have the discussion again and keep it going. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's sometimes maddening to me. I, I try to explain to you know, some, some people out there, just the simple thing. When I talk to my twin boys, uh, when you talk to my twin boys, my message is if you're getting pulled over by the cops, this is where the registration card is. You know, this is, you know, do you have, you, this is where the insurance card is. You know, that, that's my conversation with my twin boys. Make sure you understand where the registration of the card is, where the insurance card is. When I talk to my players, we talk about their hand position on the wheel if they get pulled over. Um, Chine Ogumake was no longer playing for us, but was with our franchise and obviously has a great platform on ESPN now. Right. We allowed her to work at ESPN while she was a member of the Connecticut Sun. But in order to do that, she had some really, really late evenings at, at the Bristol studio. So she would be driving back to where we lived in Connecticut in the middle of the morning, um, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning. And she would be going through uh, some, you know, some rural Connecticut towns. And so we had these conversations if she got pulled over, you know, like, you know, like it was her hand position and, you know, how she interacted verbally with the police officers, you know, like my, my, my twin boys were her age and I'm having a completely different conversation. And so that's the analogy I always try to use with people. This is, this is they it's just a different world and you you don't understand that the conversations that i have with my basketball family compared to my biological family are completely different and it's so wrong and it's so wrong but uh um you know you michael we, we are still i think there's 10 teams in the WNBA out of the 12 that leave the court for the national anthem in 2021 we are not one of them. And we did not leave the court for the national anthem one time in the bubble season last year in Florida. We have knelt consecutively now, every single game last year, every single game this year. I think we're one of maybe two teams that don't leave the court, maybe still the only team that doesn't leave the court. That is controversial now that it's back in the public eye in Connecticut with our limited fan base here the first half of the season. And we probably have lost some fans over it, but I think we've also gained the respect from a lot of fans that our group continues to want to bring the light uh, important issues. Um, and we're not trying to disrespect service people. We're not trying to disrespect the flag. Um, it is a broader, bigger issue that our leadership of our team feels is important, um, but it generates um, varying you know, opinions. And we hear it every game in, in Mohican Sun Arena at home now, when we kneel, uh, there is a small minority of fans that will, you can hear verbally yelling uh, to get up, you know, as the national anthem is starting. But uh, um, we have, you know, great player leadership um, and respect, and they are very willing to get into the conversations of why and uh and i'm just really proud to be a part of them well there are strength in numbers and so when there is a collective united front that matters you know where colin was sort of out on his own and 
uh, you know, others, Muhammad Ali and Kareem and Arthur Ashe, you know, that there've been others that have laid the, the foundation down and, and it's made it, I wouldn't say easier, but on some level, it, it's a little bit more uh, accepted that they've laid that foundation so that people can do it now. So fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, you know, Crystal Robinson was on our podcast twice. And the first time she was arrested in the middle of the podcast uh, in her hometown of Toka, Oklahoma. And she didn't know me at the time. Like I didn't know, it'd be like, if you were arrested right now, you'd want me to hang up, you know, you wouldn't want me to have this on film. And so that, that's what was happening. And I, I told my co-host at the time, I was like, I'm not hanging up. I was like, this is exactly what we talk about and read about. And so because I kept it on for a few minutes, that was something that we were able to send to her attorneys. But the point was that she was in her hometown of only 400 people. She was pulled over in the middle of the podcast and racially profiled and went to jail for a night and, and accused of something that was so outrageous uh, and then leaked to the media. You know, so this stuff still happens. And people that are listening to this, please understand that this stuff is real. You know, it happens in, in the public eye and it happens in your own corners of your homes. And that's where it starts. You know, my daughter's 10 and, you know, she draws things on the sidewalk uh, about Black Lives Matter now. She's white privilege. And if we don't start with the kids, we're not going to change those future generations because a lot of the adults are just never going to see eye to eye on this issue. For sure. For sure. All right, all right, let's get to the this or that. If you got a few minutes, this is the fun part of the uh, of the podcast. Buckle your seatbelt, Coach. We'll see if you can top Coach Wade and Coach Collin. <laughs> yeah. All right, tie or no tie with your suit during games? No tie. Right. I knew that, but people, some people didn't know that, so I just wanted that. But if you were to wear a tie, would it be a bow tie, a skinny tie, or a traditional tie? Probably traditional. Traditional tie. Oh, wow, interesting. Um. Floater or Euro? Ooh, uh, floater. Wow, that's interesting. I would not have bet that because it's a lower percentage shot. Interesting. Why? You just like how it, how, how just the energy of it, the vibration of it. What, what is it about a floater? Uh, I love teaching the floater. Wow. Uh, one, foot, one foot, two foot floater. Um, interesting. I, yeah, I just haven't always had great success with I, I, people that do the Euro step for me are naturally it has not been a big um hey learn from coach miller's staff <laughs> that's fascinating because you know i don't know if you know this i'm a professional skills trainer myself so it's it's a part of at least five minutes you know it's all about change of speed and change of direction and i teach the kevin johnson and the steve smith religiously just because that's the era that i grew up on and those moves the Steve Smith is used a lot, especially by Chris Paul, the fake spin. But the Kevin Johnson is not used by one player in the NBA or the WNBA. And I still teach it. And the players that master it, it blows people away. Because I'm your age, right? We won't say how old you are. But um, it, it's, I can go by people that are 20. They have no idea how I go by them. And it's, it's just a, it's, it's a phenomenal move. It's efficient. Uh, it's, the setup is great. The subtlety of it's great. Because that's the, the whole idea, right? With seven seconds left on the shot clock, you better be able to get to the rack. Right. Yeah. Uh, pick and roll or pick and pop? Yeah, pick and pop. Wow, interesting. Yeah, when you have JJ, I, I would imagine I would like yeah. a pick and pop also. <laughs> it's hard not to think about JJ. <laughs> That's right. Down screen or back screen? Uh, down screen. Double screen or staggered? Staggered. Horns or flat? <laughs> Horns. Right. A little few more options there. Uh, 
Drop step or turnaround baseline jumper? Turnaround. No help on that baseline side. Uh, baggy shorts or shorter shorts? Uh, shorter shorts. <laughs> Food in Syracuse. They're gonna roll, they're gonna roll the baggy ones. <laughs> That's anyway. right. Right now they roll them. They wanted the saggy, and now <laughs> what in God's name? <laughs> Food in Syracuse, Gerard, Cleveland, Colorado, Indiana, Los Angeles, or Connecticut. Ooh, all a little bit different. But, yes. Uh, um, I like the summertime lobster rolls in Connecticut. So, Connecticut, Connecticut for in in the summertime, pretty good. But uh, restaurants, man, I I I'm a I'm a sucker for downtown Indy. I like Indy's downtown food. Wow. Interesting. What's your, what's your favorite uh, dish? Do you cook? I, uh, no, no, not. Okay. <laughs> what's your favorite meal when you go to Indy? Um, I love uh, a good steakhouse. Um, but you know, the sister restaurant St. Elmo's and Harry and Izzy's have world famous shrimp cocktail. So oh. you, you, the, the horseradish in the in downtown Indy in the shrimp cocktail sauce is amazing. Wow. If you haven't been, you've got to go to one of those two steakhouses downtown. I will when I visit for sure. That's uh, I'm a sucker for seafood. Uh, waffles, pancakes, or French toast? French toast. So have you ever had it with challah? No. What is that? So it's like a thicker Jewish bread. And if you've never had it, you got it. You got, you had me, you want me to try something in Indy. If I ever go there, you got to try French toast with challah. It's unbelievable. Okay. It's like twice as thick as even like potato bread. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, popcorn or candy at the movies? Popcorn. Butter. There you go. That was my next question. So that's just sign of a great coach. You already knew what the next question was going to be. Uh, toughest player to prepare for during your time in the W? Um, Tina Charles. Man, what a year she's having. It's, she's hardly, she's hard to guard. Oof, Lord. Yeah, she's doing it all and playing every position. It's amazing. Uh, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Arnold Palmer, Pennsylvania native, or Jack Nicholas? Jack Nicholas. Jack or Tiger? Tiger. MJ or LeBron? MJ. George Blanda or Johnny Unitas, both Pennsylvania natives? Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> pass i don't know <laughs> tie uh wilt bill russell or kareem uh loved wilt wow interesting kareem and bill won more championships so that's interesting yeah for sure yeah montana or brady brady jim kelly or dan marino Ooh, now that's hard because my dad's a pit grad and i growing up Marino, I'll say Marino. <laughs> Magic or Steph Curry? Magic. Wow. Kobe or KD? Uh, Kobe. Yeah, we lost a great one there, especially with regards to the women's game. How did that impact you and 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 the W or your players? Did they talk about it? For sure. Yeah, that's a, that's an emotional conversation, and just his voice and. Um, and his daughter was just going to be a superstar and the, the light he could shine from a male perspective oh. uh, on, on visibility on our league was unprecedented. And so oh. tragic, tragic. Right. And yeah. so many players in our league got to know him on a personal yeah. level. So, yeah. Oh, uh, Jim Brown or Barry Sanders. 
Uh, I'm a sucker for Barry Sanders. Like those moves, huh, coach? Like the floater and the Euro. He did the the Euro version of the NFL. (laughs) Uh, Roger Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic? Uh, Nadal. Anyone but Joe. Anyone but Joker. <laughs> the other two. Serena or Martina Navratilova? Serena. Yeah. Muhammad Ali or Jackie Robinson? Ooh, Muhammad Ali. Mm. Under 10 seconds left, down one. Do you call timeout or let him play? Let him play. Love it. Up three with seven seconds left. Other team has the ball. Do you put him at the foul line or do you just play D? Foul. Every time. Now, was that the case when you were coaching at uh, Bowling Green? Did you have the same philosophy? Uh, it's probably evolved a little bit stronger, but uh, I'm a foul up three guy. Haven't always executed it. Lost some games because we weren't able to execute it. But um, yeah, I'm a foul guy in that situation. Yeah, a couple more. What's more important for a season that will determine your team's success? Less than turn, 10 turnovers a game or holding the other team to less than 32% shooting? 32% shooting. Okay, second one. Out-rebounding the other team or making more free throws than the other team attempts? Yes, that. Yes. And the last one. You're currently So you currently have four players averaging double figures on this year's team. So with that being said, having at least four players in double figures every game or 20 assists as a team in every game? uh the double four or more double figure scores yeah agreed not that my opinion matters uh brady bunch are all in the family brady bunch wow fast times at richmond higher breakfast club Ooh. <laughs> uh, fast time <laughs> you dick <laughs> that was my favorite scene in the classroom <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so Monty Williams, head coach of the Phoenix Suns, right? So congrats to Milwaukee. Shout out to them. So he goes in the Milwaukee locker room uh, to congratulate them. You don't really see that very often. Uh, You know, knowing his history, lost his wife, uh, just well-respected in the field. Have you ever gone into another team's locker room and congratulated them like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. At the collegiate level. In the Sweet 16 game? Not in the Sweet 16 game, but in wow. in those in those type of environments. Interesting. Did you watch this the NBA Finals? I did. I went to. Uh, I turned it off pretty quickly, so I didn't watch some of the celebration afterwards. But yeah. Uh, okay. Best deal going: the WNBA League Pass for seventeen ninety nine, or the NBA League Pass for one hundred and ninety nine ninety nine. Yeah, WNBA League Pass. Okay, so I want to ask you this, um, and this is really the last point that I want to make uh, in all seriousness. So <clears throat> to that point, the iPhone costs what? We'll agree about $1,000, maybe 800 and more people buy the iPhone, at least in the United States. Uh, you know, imitation, you know, uh, PC computers and other phone companies, Androids, less money right? And they advertise them as less money, but still everybody buys the iPhone, even though it's more money, way more money. And so my question to you is, do you think, because I got to be honest with you, when I saw that price, I was sort of pissed off. You know, I was sort of insulted by it. Like I get it on the one hand, 
But don't you think it should be at least $49.99? You know, something that says, hey, we're not going to cheapen our product. If you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. But we're not going to do this. Yeah, Michael, I think obviously there's that, that yeah. the rub, you know, like what yeah. the price should be. Because what I get frustrated, even myself, is uh, if we're on CBS Sports Network, which is great, now it's blacked out on Leak Pass. Amazon Prime, right. you know, Amazon Prime has come in. Now you're blacked out on Leak Pass. So, you know, like then do you lose subscribers because too many games are blacked out and you, you don't get subscribers because it gets the price is getting a little bit higher, but you still have the blackout problem. So right. I think the league the league ultimately has some challenges as we try to find all the right platforms, sure. all the right visibility with all these different networks and all these different opportunities from Facebook to Twitter to yeah. Amazon Prime to CBS Sports Network. Get us all on these, you know, get as much visibility as possible, but it affects ultimately the domino effect is the league pass. So trying to figure out where the price point is to counter some of the frustration as I want to watch, you know, this game, but it's now on CBS sports network and now I can't get it on league pass. So I, there's challenges in our league. I think yeah. with that, I don't think there's an easy fix, yeah. um, but you know, I, I, there's smarter people in the room than I am to figure all that out. Well, and they're going in the right direction. Like I said earlier, uh, viewership is up. Uh, the way that it's been marketed. So even though there are, you know, a few fans or, you know, several thousand, tens of thousands of fans that don't agree with some of the things that that go on, obviously they're doing a lot of things right. Expansion is right around the corner. Uh, hopefully within the next couple of years where that is, we don't know, but it's, uh, it's needed and necessary, like you said, for representation for a lot of other reasons. And there's a lot of cities that would that do a great job, you know, with this expansion. Um, you guys play again August 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern against the Dallas Wings, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, we're trying to get to 25 uh, players and coaches uh, to honor this 25th season. You're our 14th. We can't thank you enough for uh, spending so much time with us. Much love and thanks to Auntie Chantel, uh, Dr. Auntie Chantel, for, for jumping in for about 20 minutes. And I'll leave the floor for you. Anything else that you want to share with? We've been in 27 countries and uh, it's, it's been an honor to pivot uh, with this podcast and not simply talk sports, but about some of these conversations uh, that are so important uh, that matter way more than basketball. Well, the big thing, Michael, is keep hyping up the Commissioner Cup. Uh, first year for the Commissioner's Cup in the WNBA. We're fortunately yep. the representative coming out of the East. Uh, we'll play Seattle, the representative coming out of the West on August 12th in Phoenix. Um, great opportunity, first year event. Winning teams, approximately the players will get a bonus of $30,000. Right. Um, that is huge, huge. Uh, a huge bonus for especially the players on their rookie contracts. Um, you know, huge. The runner-up team, again, another $10,000 bonus for the players. So uh, we're very proud to be representing um, the East in the first Commissioner's Cup. So hype that up. It's going to be yep. a great event. I think ultimately we'll probably have a corporate sponsor at some point. They'll yes. be X by you, Commissioner's Cup. Uh, and I think it's going to be a great event. I know that when we were in the hunt, it became part of our conversation in our locker room. I think that's what the WNBA had envisioned. Our team, you know, as we got midway through the Commissioner's Cup challenge here in the first half, we really could see the light at the end of the tunnel that we controlled our own destiny. So it became a part of our conversation in preparing for games. So it did what it, you know, the, the league was hoping. So, 
you know, uh, hype up that Commissioner Cup game. We're, we're excited about being involved on August 12th. That's awesome. Uh, so last question. If you could have anyone else jump in uh, as a guest on the show, uh, who, what coach or what player do you think would, would be a good fit to share space with us to, to talk about a lot of these messages that we're talking about? Yeah, I think at the collegiate level, uh, you know, Don Staley is, you know, yeah. certainly amazing and coming out of this Olympic experience with the pressure of trying to win. Uh, you know, I'm on that small committee that's taken a lot of heat on who's on the, uh, the Olympic team and who's not. And, you know, we'll see if we pick the right team as a committee. And, uh, you know, Don Staley just does such a great job and her story um, is remarkable. And, uh, you know, I think it opens the door for former great players to be given an opportunity and she's really paved that way uh, for former great players. So her, um, you know, I think in line to be the next Olympic coach is Cheryl Reeve. And uh, you argue that, you know, she's the most or one of the most successful WNBA coaches. So yeah. those guys will always do a great job in retired players. Um, you know, recently retired players who I, I think are tremendous. Um, Alana Beard is someone yeah. that I, I can't recommend high enough. Uh, she does such a great job of representing the league, but there's life after basketball. Uh, yeah. She's one of the most talented people I've ever been around. Um, so can't say enough about, you know, these ex WNBA players that, um, can give back and, and talk, continue to talk about the game. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, coach. We appreciate your time. Best of luck to your mom and your dad, uh, and everything you got going on there. And I hope you, you have a little bit of a, uh, reprieve and be able to meditate or do some yoga and, and, uh, enjoy some good food, some home cooked food and uh, anything we can do to promote the W and, and all the things that we talked about. Like I said, it's uh, it, I don't understand why people continue to come on our show, but it, it truly is an honor. I mean that I've, I've like you've been doing this for a long time. I still love coaching. I still have other aspirations down the road. But this is a this is an important um, layer to, to my um, legacy, I guess you would say. And, and to, to have you share it with me is is truly been an honor. So thank you so much for taking the time out. So much pleasure being with you. All right, coach. Talk soon. Good luck down the stretch. All right. Truly an honor to share space with our third head coach of the WNBA, Kurt Miller of the Connecticut Sun. And uh, so great to have Auntie Chantel, Dr. Auntie Chantel Trimeteer jump on before she had to get back to work with Nike. And, uh, you know, my thoughts are that um, it's not always easy uh, to be a minority or an ally uh, and sometimes you do make mistakes. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we didn't talk about was uh, Coach Miller when he was recruiting a player while he was a collegiate coach. Um, he lied to the dad about uh, whether or not he was living with another man. Uh, he said he was living with another man, but it was a it was a fraternity brother. And he said he was disgusted with himself, and he vowed to never allow that to happen again and to be transparent. And so, you know, we have all these crossroads in our lives and we don't always make the right decisions. It is scary. It is hard. But like he said, uh, in a number of different instances, representation does matter. And you can just uh, feel uh, through the uh, audio or if you're watching it through the screen, how proud he is and how much he takes uh, responsibility for being 
a uh, white male and a white ally, um, uh, a person in the space of the LGBTQ community uh, and what that means um, for a large contingency of um, women in that space uh, and African-American women in the black and brown community uh, in the WNBA. And so just a, a wonderful conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can always send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. We believe that uh, you should bet on women. Uh, so important as we approach the 50th anniversary of Title IX in 2022 next year and support the W. It's a, it's a great product. Uh, one through 12 on every team, they can flat out ball. And uh, honored again that uh, Kurt Miller, head coach and general manager of the Connecticut Sun, joined us here in the Sports Daily, our 14th future, current, or past player coach to join us. And uh, truly an honor always to have them share space with us. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Stop Asian hate. Please mask up. We've been saying this from the beginning, even if you've been vaccinated, but especially if you've not been vaccinated. And remember, it takes a village. For Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. This has been the Sports Deli Podcast, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Until next time, much love. Peace.